Romans 1, 7, and 8, he makes a very similar thing. He says, to all who are at Rome, beloved of God, God, called to be the saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul starts out the letter addressing the brethren, and here at the end of the letter, he uh, addresses uh, those believers that, that are in brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul says in Romans 15, 14, it's a general statement that they are full of goodness. Um, I'm sure there was problems in the church. Obviously, he's addressed those in chapter 14 and 15. But as a general statement, they are full of goodness. And the word goodness here has to do with their moral character. As, as a group, they were, uh, uh, there was really nothing, I guess, within the church uh, different than the church at Corinth where they were having issues. As a church in general, Paul says, you're of good moral character. Uh, They hated evil. They followed after righteousness. Um, They would be the ones in Galatians that Paul could say they have exhibited the fruit of the Spirit, the love, joy, and peace that uh, he has been wanting to see. Uh, What a nice thing it is to be able to write a letter to a church without having a lot of issues, right? Um, The church at Corinth uh, had a lot going on and here Paul was just really the whole letter has just been instruction not dealing with church issues and church problems and in our day uh, it seems like everywhere you go there's issues right and and within local congregations and this was um, uh, it and, and a lot of times it's moral it's it's a moral fault of the leadership or people within the church and Paul says I look at this church at Rome and and Ty and I had talked, there might be two churches. Well, he can decide that in chapter 16. But he looks at the group of believers as a whole, and he says, you're of good moral character. You really stand out. What does that, what does that do in a community? Right? They, they can't point their finger at you, right? They may hate you, but they can't point your finger at you for being a, a poor moral character. I think that's important for us as a church to learn uh, in, in uh he also says that when he looked at the believers at Rome, he would say that it's true of them that the Spirit of God had worked and done a work in their lives, and they can give evidence of a transformed life. Uh, the gospel, if it doesn't transform our lives, it's really not the gospel. It's a false gospel. And Paul says here um, that uh, not only uh, as, as he closes this out, uh, notice what he says, uh, they are brethren, you are filled with goodness, full of knowledge, able to admonish one another. Knowledge has the idea of deep truths. Uh, they have learned uh, not just general principles of God, but I think they've learned a deep truth. They were people that wanted to know about God and his and the depth. Um, there are churches that there are believers in, and they might have, be a believer at, at a 16, and by the time they're 80, they're at the same spiritual state in their life. There's no barrier, no little growth. And Paul says, as a general rule here at Rome, um, they are living moral lives and they are filled with knowledge. They're interested in the deeper things of God. And that affects how they work, how they act, how they interact with each other. Paul says they're full of goodness. Um, That is uh, what, what we talked about, moral character. And then he says they also are able to admonish one another. And, uh, and, and so, um, as, as the word admonish here carries the idea of encouraging, it can also be translated mourning, 
advising. It includes really all areas of counseling. So there's interaction between others in the body. It's not just you come on Sunday morning and you leave. You're just caring about you, yourself, and your little family. But there's interaction between others uh, in the congregation. Uh, it's important to note here uh, that Paul is saying this is true of the whole congregation. It's just not one or two people in the congregation. It's not the responsibility uh, of the church elders or the pastor or the deacons to encourage one another, but it's something that everyone in the church should be involved in. Everyone should be involved in encouraging, warning, advising uh, others in the church. Um, Paul puts it this way. Look at Colossians 3 uh, to a familiar passage when he wrote to the uh, Colossian believers, uh, he makes it similar. Uh, he says, therefore, uh, chapter 3, verses 12 through 17, uh, Paul says, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, Notice, if any has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you also must do. And then he goes on, he says, above all things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom. Notice what he says, teaching, admonishing one another, and then, in this case, with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the God, to the Father, through him. So it is, uh, as Paul looks at this church at Rome, he says, not only are you um, of good, good moral character yourself, you, you live good lives, but you're willing to, to interact with each other, to admonish, to encourage uh, we see that um, in the book of Hebrews, of course, uh, chapter 10, uh, Paul says in verse 23, similar words, or well, whoever wrote uh, Hebrews, I won't take that on right now. Let us hold fast to the confession of our faith without wavering. That's the good moral character. He who promises faithful, and then here's where we interact with each other. Let us consider one another in order to stir up to love and the good works, to encourage one another. That's the idea, to warn, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. And then he closes out, but exhorting, again, encouraging, admonishing, strengthening one another as you see the day more, as you see the day approaching. So I hope when you come on Sundays or Wednesdays or whenever you get together that it's not just a time that we come, we're doing our duty, we check it off, we came to church, but that we're really genuinely concerned about others in the body, how they are doing, their welfare, uh, their growth, and that we as individuals interact with each other. Sometimes it might be hard. We encourage. Sometimes we have to admonish. That is, warn. And so, um, anyway, this is Paul as he's closing out uh, the book of Romans. This is his words to it to them and to us. So any, any comments, thoughts? Okay. Um, in verse 15 uh, of Romans 15, uh, the Apostle Paul says that he had written some bold things 
and some strong things that are believers. Um, I, you know, you can look at the whole book of Romans, and so we won't take time to go back. Uh, but I do think um, I, I made a list of some of those things. In chapter 6, he says, you are dead to sin as a believer. Uh, Ty covered this, uh, and I, I'm paraphrasing. You can't profess Christ and continue to live in your sin and, and, and be comfortable in your sin. Can you fall? Are we going to continue your sin? Yes. But your, your sin cannot be what part of your daily life. And Paul is very clear. Uh, I think that was some bold things that he wrote to the Romans. Um, and that um, he says, don't let sin rule in your mortal bodies. Don't let it be a mark of you. Uh, put off. Don't obey the lust and present yourselves as instruments of righteousness. Uh, Paul told the Romans, uh, don't be caught up in, in the affairs and the things of this world. Put off. Uh, and put on righteousness. Make yourself um, morally uh, acceptable, as it were. Morally present yourself in the community. Uh, then he says here in chapter 12, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. I think it's a reminder to all of us. Uh, and I think uh, he's very right in saying it. Chapter 13, be subject to government authorities who are established by God. Again, a reminder, we're going to vote, but God is sovereign. Right? And we are, even if Andy Bashir gets elected, we are called to at least accept that and to pray for him, pray for his salvation. As hard as it is, um, you know, that, that's what, and they, these are some hard things. And Paul's writing to the Romans, by the way, who live at where? In Rome, right? Wasn't an easy place to live. And so um, pay your taxes, respect your leaders, Paul would say. There's many other things we could look at. Um, but Paul was able to speak boldly because of the grace given to him. And uh, we see that here in verse uh, 15. I've written you boldly to use some points reminding you because of the grace given to me by God. What do you think that phrase is referenced to? What would the grace that God gave specifically to Paul? Yeah, as, as an apostle. I think that's what it means. Yeah, thank you, Becky. I, I think that Paul was chosen by God to, obviously, on the Damascus Road, there was a great conversion there. But then his ministry was the focus to the Gentiles. And, and so Paul says this is a I, – I like the way he says it here, uh, if I can find it again. The grace given to me by God. He considered his apostleship that – that God gifted him, it was um, a grace. And then um, in, you can look at this um, in Romans 1. Uh, Paul makes a similar statement. Again, it's interesting how he starts the book and ends. We keep going back. Romans 1, Paul, a bondservant of Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through the prophets and the holy scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, who was born the seed of David according to flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we've received grace and apostleship for obedience of faith among the nations or the Gentiles for his name 
sake. And so Paul starts off the letter reminding them that he had been called, he'd been given the grace of an apostleship, and he ends at the end of his letter, he reminds them of the gift um, that was given. In verse 16 here, he says, that I might be a minister of Christ to the Gentile, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be an acceptable sacrifice by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Paul gives, as Becky said, I think she's right, he gives a reason God chose him to be an apostle, primarily to minister the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. Uh, I appreciate our brother that was here for the Bible conference. He made a good point. We all know this. We don't think about it. There's really two groups of people, right? There's Jews and Gentiles. You know, if you're, if you're a Muslim, if you're African, if you're white American, it doesn't matter. You're a Gentile. And you're either a Gentile or a Jew. That, that's it. And, uh, and so Paul's goal was to go into uh, all the world. Uh, the offering to Gentiles, uh, he says, might be an acceptable sacrifice by the Holy Spirit. Matthew Poole says, this is better to understand it passively. The, the apostle is converting them to his, by his ministry, might present or offer them to God is an acceptable obligation. The Gentiles were set apart, not by some early priest, but by the very Holy Spirit of God. The Gentiles were saved the same way the Jews were, by the Holy Spirit. So Paul, again, sees the Gentiles as each one believes. He's not claiming that he did it. He's certainly clear in Romans 9, 10, and 11 that, uh, that the gospel is from eternity past and that Christ that God picks who's going to believe. He's also very clear in Romans 10 that you, you cannot be saved without hearing. And so Paul says, my ministry, I was called to go preach the gospel to the Gentiles who had never heard it. And when they're converted, it's like, it's to me, I can present them back to God. Say, so you have done a work through me, now I give them back to you. And so uh, it's an acceptable sacrifice. The Gentiles, again, were set apart by the very Holy Spirit. So any thoughts on that section, his closing accommodations? Rick? The offering up is just, it, it's, it's fruit of his labor. And he's, and he's, does that make more sense? He's saying that here's the fruit of my labor. I'm offering it back to you. Even though salvation comes by God, right? It, it looks to be a, a circular. But Paul is saying, they're not mine. Even though I worked harder than the other apostle, they're really yours. And I'm giving them back to you. Praise Yeah. Yeah, here, here it is. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah. Right, it's, it's...
yeah, yeah, Paul was called to the Gentiles, right? And that's what he's just saying. He said, I'm offering him up as fruit, evidence. Even though God saved him, I'm bringing him back, I'm giving to you. It's not I, right, the Apostle Paul that did this, but it's really God uh, through the Holy Spirit. Good. Paul says, I've written some hard things. This is some of them, right, <laughs> that we're looking at. All right, let's look at verses 17 through 22 here. Uh, this is the uh, review of the past. Uh, it says, I therefore have reason to glory in Christ Jesus and things which pertain to God, for I did not dare to speak of any of these, uh, those things which Christ had not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God so that from Jerusalem to, I think it's of Curium, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ, and so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel. Know where Christ was named, lest I should be built on another man's foundation. And then he quotes here from the Old Testament, as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and to those who have not heard, they shall understand. For this reason, I have also been much hindered from coming to you. So Paul's going to talk about his work with the Gentiles what he has done, uh, the, the, uh, the magnitude of the ministry. Um, uh, the, the, from Jerusalem to Curia, which is way up in the west, um, MacArthur says it's 1,400 miles just on a straight line. It, I, I should have brought it out here, but if you ever look in the back of your Bible and just look at the area that Paul covered from, from uh, Greece and Macedonia... Uh, over on the other side, uh, around Jerusalem, it was a massive area that he uh, went through. And uh, he had many uh, ministry missionary trips. Uh, the word glory in verse 17 can be translated uh, as boasting, but also as rejoicing. Paul's not boasting in particular accomplishments. He's boasting in Christ Jesus and God, what God had accomplished through him. God had done a work in Paul that had really... Um, you see in different generations, there's no doubt that God did a work through Luther and Calvin. In our own day, uh, you can pick out, obviously, R.C. Sproul was, God did a special work in him, MacArthur. Uh, there are those that are just super gifted, I would say, oh, that overabundance of God's grace is given to them. And that's what we have here in the Apostle Paul. Um, turn with me to Second Corinthians a minute. Um, chapter 10. Second Corinthians 10. Uh, let's just look here at verses 17 and 18. Uh, Paul says, but he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. For he, for not he who commends himself is approved but whom the Lord commends. So Paul is always reminded, yes, thousands and hundreds of people were saved, tens of thousands under Paul's ministry, but it is God that gets the credit. And Paul is very, um, very careful here uh, to give God the credit. In verse 19, but he did this. Uh, in verse 18, he says, I will not dare to speak of these things which Christ has not accomplished through me. It's, it's, it's God's work 
And then in verse 19, through mighty signs and wonders and powers of the Spirit of God from Jerusalem to Ecurium, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Uh, he's, he covered a massive amount, not just Paul, but uh, others. Um, he says uh, one way he did this is by mighty signs and wonders by the Holy Spirit. Uh, signs and wonders were given to Paul as an uh, to authenticate uh, his true ministry. Uh, The book of Acts is filled with Paul's, the work that Paul did in healing people and uh, in mighty signs and wonders. Uh, In uh, 2 Corinthians um, chapter 12, he says, I have become a fool in boasting to you. You have compelled me, for I ought to have been commended to you for but because in no way was I behind the most eminent apostles. And then he says, truly signs of an apostle were accomplished through me with all perseverance and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. All the apostles were given this, and Paul, as a, to authenticate his ministry, was given this ministry of signs and wonders. I don't know what it all included, but he was able to do these mighty deeds uh, that... Uh, specifically in healing people, and uh, and and, uh, and and so, in verse nineteen he says, uh, to give the extent of his ministry, uh, he, he lists he lists this with mighty signs and wonders, and then he went through this whole list of all that he had accomplished. Um, Romans was written around fifty six fifty seven A D. Paul was in Corinth. We'll see that. At the end, uh, you, can, uh, you can see uh, he started in 46 A.D. on his first mission trip. And so there was a 10 or 12-year period uh, that he accomplished. Um, he was certainly a trailblazer. Look at verse 20. I've made it my aim to preach the gospel where Christ was not named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. Paul didn't necessarily follow Peter. He went out on his own to the Gentiles, and he was a trailblazer. Uh, In our own day, we have what they call the 1040 window, uh, and there's a group of people who are going out to people who have never heard the gospel before. This is kind of where the Apostle Paul says, um, and then Paul quotes, or he paraphrases uh, this in Isaiah 52, uh, in which he takes to mean that the gospel went out to the Gentiles' nations. And then verse 23, it says, For this reason, um, I have not been able, I've been hindered from coming to you. Not because he was physically hindered, but because he was busy doing other things. That's the idea here. He had been all over the world uh, preaching the gospel. And then verses 23 through 29, Paul is going to review his past ministries. Uh, Let's look at that a minute here. Any comments or questions before we move on? All right. And 23 here. um, But now no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire uh, uh, for these many things in years to come to you, whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you. For I hope to see you in my journey and to be helped uh, on my ways uh, there by you. For first I may enjoy your company for a while. But now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. For it pleased 
those in Macedonia and Acacia to make certain contributions to the poor amongst the saints who were at Jerusalem, for it pleased them indeed that they and their debtors, for the Gentiles had been partakers of the spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. Then he says in verse 28, Therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I will go to you by way of Spain. Verse 29, But I know when I come to you that I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Paul says, I've been busy. I've had a lot of things to do. Did I want to come to Rome? Absolutely. And But now, right in the middle of this, he says, I'm, I'm taking a collection up for the saints that are in Jerusalem. If you remember in Jerusalem, Acts chapter 15, there was this, uh, and, uh, there was this huge famine in Jerusalem. And uh, Paul had encouraged those uh, to uh, Gentiles to take a collection up and to put the money together. And to, that money would go to help the church in Jerusalem. Uh, much like we would do today. Um, and um, so with the initial work um, in, in these areas, uh, he also says, it's kind of interesting, in verse uh, 23, uh, he says, but now no longer having a place in these parts, I'm having a great desire that I may come to you whenever I journey to Spain. Uh, Ellicott says, the work had been finished as far as the apostle was concerned, Asia Minor, Macedonia, and Greece. The churches had been founded, and they had been set in order. And they, Paul was said, kind of on your own. I'll write you a letter once in a while. Uh, If you look, we won't take time to look at it. Acts chapter 20, verse 17, Paul met with the Ephesian elders. They had already established elders or leaderships in many of these churches. So Paul would come in, plant a church. There would be leadership started. The church would start. And then he would move on. And sometimes he'd send Timothy back or Titus back as he did at Ephesus. But as far as Paul was concerned, uh, his work wasn't to stay there and build this big ministry. It was the work of an evangelist from Ephesians chapter 4. He would uh, move on and, uh, and set. Um, there's, Paul says, uh, whenever I journey to Spain... Uh, there's some disagreements among commentators. Uh, Clement of Rome said uh, in uh, 95 AD that Paul visited the extreme limits of the West. Some understand that to mean, obviously, uh, Spain, which would be the extreme limits of the West, Spain and Portugal over there. Uh, but there's really no recording of it in the book of Acts or really in the scriptures at all. Um, and so um, I, I don't think he ever really made it to Spain, but you can take that for your, your own uh, view. Uh, he certainly had a do- desire. Uh, in verse 24, as he's going to Spain, Paul says, um, I come to you for I hope to see you in my journeys and be helped on the way uh, that I first might enjoy your company for a while. So Paul was going to spend some time, it doesn't say how much, uh, with them. Um, and then um, it is interesting to me, uh, really, the great Apostle Paul still had plans. He had visions. He had plans. He didn't just 
get up in the morning and, and say, here's what I'm going to do. Uh, but his plan was uh, not to come to Rome, to, to stay in Rome, but his plan was to stop in Rome on the way, gather supplies, maybe some help, and then move on to Spain. Uh, and so um, I, I made a note here. Uh, Paul was clear he planned on coming to Rome and was going to Spain. And as I said, historically, it probably never happened. And um, uh, I, I wrote down two uh, passages here. Planning with wise counsel is a good thing. Uh, it's right to plan. We should plan. We shouldn't get up every morning and go, what am I going to do? Um, you know, poor preparation produces what? You've heard me say it a thousand times. Poor results, right? And so Paul was a preparer. Uh, Rome, Proverbs fifteen twenty two. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. It's right to make plans. Having said that, though, uh, planning does not show a lack of trust in God's providence, but our planning is always subject to the will of God. Proverbs 16, 9. Man's heart plans his ways, but what? The Lord directs his path, right, or his steps. So we plan, going to Spain, stop by Rome. Never made it. Never made it. Planned. God directs his steps. So um, it's right to do both. Right to plan. It's right to acquiesce to the will of God. Never made it there. All right. Any thoughts or questions before we close this out? All right. Um, he says here... Um, Verse 27, it pleased them indeed that they that they be their debtors, for the Gentiles have partakers of their spiritual things. Their duty is to minister them in the material things. This is a really controversial statement. Paul is saying, look, the reason you're a believer is because the gospel came through the Jews. He's already established this over and over again. The Jews were in, were in Jerusalem, the Jewish church. And so Paul makes this plea to them, and he says, you, you, you owe them, you, it's, it's, it's kind of your duty to collect money and, uh, and to give them money and send it to, to them. Um, so uh, Hendrickson said, Paul knows that not only the souls but also the body must receive nourishment. Every church has spiritual needs, emotional needs, and physical needs. And so Paul was very aware of the needs of those in other places of the world. And we do the same thing. We help people, not only in our own congregation, but we help people around the world. Um, and, and, and I think it's right to do that. I think we have good New Testament, um, New Testament uh, uh, backing for that, that uh, we, we should do that. Um, in 2 Corinthians 8... Uh, the churches of Macedonia, which is north of Corinth, had apparently uh, been very generous. And, um, and so they had collected money. And then Paul says to the church at Corinth, by the way, you promised me a year ago you were going to collect this money. I just want to make sure when I get there, chapter 16, right on the first day of the week, make sure you cut the collections. When I get there, you've got it all together. And then Paul uh, was going to take that money from the churches at Macedonia and Corinth and take it down to Jerusalem and give it to them. So 
Paul's doing one thing to help the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem, but at the same time, he's not able to go minister to Romans, um, to those at Rome. And again, there's only so much you can do, right? Only so much you can do. And then uh, in verses 30 through 33, uh, Paul says, um, now, well, I'll just stop. Let's look at verse 28. I'll let Ty finish this. Uh, Therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I shall be on my way to you in Spain. After Paul gets to Jerusalem, uh, by the way, it's very interesting. Uh, Paul's collecting this money from the churches uh, that were in poverty themselves, and they're giving out of generosity and joy. And then Paul gets this money, and if you look, we won't take time to look in First and Second Corinthians, uh, specifically chapters 8 and 9, Paul assigns other men to go with him to make sure that the money gets handled correctly so nobody can ever say, well, Paul, you stole the money. And so Paul was even accountable as an apostle to others around him. And so as he's heading to Jerusalem to give this money, uh, he gets to Jerusalem. We know that he did get to Jerusalem, gave the money. What we don't know is if he ever got to Spain. And, um, but anyway, um, he, he closes with this prayer. Uh, he says, I beg you, brethren, to the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit that you strive with me in prayer. Paul covets the prayers of the believers. I think every leader uh, covets the prayers of the congregation. And we should be aware to pray for not only each other, but for the leaders uh, of our church um, and to, um, to hold them up in prayer. And, and uh, so, uh, Ty, if you want to pick up the last couple of verses there and, and head in, I think they kind of go together. Any thoughts or comments before we close out Romans 15? All right, so Becky. I don't think it's, I think it's wasteful when we get up in the morning and go, what am I going to do today? I think, I think it's, it's right to plan, right? Even in retirement, you shouldn't be sitting around. Should be, we should be active in doing something. And, and work of the kingdom can always use help. Uh, well, go ahead. <laughs> All right. Thank you for your time and your patience. If you have any other comments, see, see me afterwards. And so... I expected that from him, by the way.